It's time for Silver and Black Today Game Day. We're breaking down the Raiders' upcoming game and bring you in-depth analysis from National Football Insiders. Let's get the nation fired up. Here are your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moten. Welcome back, everybody. It is time for Silver and Black Today Game Day here on The Fan in Las Vegas. Scott Goldbranson, Mo Moten with you, and your Raiders are 5-2. and two. Oh, we'll lose our coach. He'll resign under horrible circumstances, and then we'll go out and win two in a row. That's what these Raiders have done. Have they gotten back the moxie of the Raiders of old? The Raiders of old had all sorts of controversy, things against them, the league trying to destroy them, coaches trying to destroy them, calling them criminals, and they always came back to win. Is this Raiders team that way? We're going to talk about that today as they sit at 5-2 and two, uh, after beating the Eagles this past Sunday here in Las Vegas, 33-22. to 22. And I bring in Mo Moten. And Mo, this team, man, they, they, they lose their coach under the most ridiculous circumstances you can possibly imagine. Everybody feels betrayed. All of the stuff we talked about the last few weeks. What do they do? They go out the, fi- the two games after and they play their best football of the entire season. I just want to give a shout out to that coaching staff because a lot of people felt like Gruden was the show there. He ran the show and he did, but he left behind a pretty good coaching staff and he yes. deserves partial credit for that. Um, Rich Basaccia stepping in as an interim, getting this team together, players are playing for him. Uh, Greg Olson uh, switching up things on the offense, getting the most out of that unit. Uh, Gus Bradley, of course, his defense has been steady all year. And to quote a popular radio host who will, shall remain unnamed, <laughs> He is done doubting the Raiders, and I think a lot of people should be too. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think you look at you look at how this team has responded to the adversity, and that's huge because that's what the NFL season is about. You look at what the Kansas City Chiefs, boo, what the Kansas City Chiefs are going through right now, right? And I know Raider fans love what's happening to them, but they're, they've hit the biggest bump in the road they've hit in the last five years. And so you're going to see how they respond to it. But you look at this Raiders team, and Mo, I think it starts, you talked about the coaching staff. There's no doubt. Rich Basaccia, uh, Ron Miles, Gus Bradley, Greg Olson, all those guys deserve credit for keeping this team together. But more than that, it's the team leadership. And we heard players talk about it at press availability this week. We heard people praise Derek Carr. We heard people praise guys like Alec Ingold, guys like Max Crosby, who's a young player, but who stepped up to lead Yannick Ngakwe, a guy who's new to the team. That locker room has co- coalesced around one another and said, okay, yeah, we got a raw deal here. And we didn't, our coach, we thought we knew, we didn't know based on what happened in the past. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to sit here and feel sorry for ourselves and go down? the tubes or are we going to actually do something and go out and play inspired football and boy have they played inspired football and the strange way i think what the Raiders have gone through over the last two years starting off fast and kind of ending slow well ending slow i think that prepared them for this moment not to say they prepared them to lose john gruden to the circumstances they lost him in but when you go through adversity and it doesn't work out in your favor and you kind of go down the tubes down the toilet and the way things end and then you come back and you face a, a tougher situation. You're like, you know what? We've been in a hole before. We've been in a tough situation before. And you turn to your leaders, your Derek Carr, Darren Waller, Max Crosby. You turn to those guys and those guys leading the way, going through some tough situations in the past, they're able to pull their team through situations right now. And I think it's showing on the field. And, of course, that coach staff also leading the way. 
absolutely helps them. It does. And I, and I think that that's where you have to look at this team. And I think Raider fans, a lot of them, at least to me, were ready to to give up on the season after the stuff happened with John Gruden. Because, yes, and we heard from, from owner Mark Davis. Actually, Mark Davis spoke to the media and the public about time uh, at the NFL owners meeting where he said that the timing of the emails uh, was questionable to him. And, and that's where, and he believed that the Washington football team investigation, which suddenly is resolved and everybody's been punished, but the NFL is not going to tell you how um, and, and, and all that. So, so you have that situation. So this team could have very easily crumbled and I'm just impressed that they've been able to do it. And I know those folks who don't like Derek Carr, it's going to eat him alive, but he's had a lot to do with that. His performance on the field, uh, yes, he went backwards a little bit in those two losses, but he comes out and Mo, he had almost an exact perfect game. He had the one pickoff. He had the highest, second highest um, percentage, completion percentage in a game where a quarterback threw 30 throws since Drew Brees did it in 2019 as a Saint. And uh, I mean, you just, you could not look at the performance and say, what could Derek Carr have done better? Yeah, absolutely. This is Derek Carr, the MVP candidate we were saying earlier at the beginning of the season, back again with Greg Olson at the helm. Greg Olson, of course, Derek Carr's offensive coordinator for the second time in his career. Uh, so they have a comfort with each other, and I think it's showing on the field. Uh, Greg Olson running play action. Derek Carr is under center. He's still aggressive as he was at the beginning of the season. It's all coming together for a great season. In my opinion, easily his best season, better than the 2016 season. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And he just looks more confident. He's got it. And, and you know what? Maybe this is what he needed. You know, the, a lot of people, including me at times, have criticized Derek Carr and say, well, he's a great player. If you put everybody around him, he can go out and play and he can win. But he's not the kind of guy who's going to take a team on his shoulders and kind of uh, make them rise above what they are. But maybe this is the situation where he's done that maybe this is a situation where you have a, a swirling controversy your coach is ousted basically uh at the 12th hour after a loss after a two two game losing streak and suddenly everybody in that locker room is looking for someone to stand up and take over now i know risk Pisaccia has done a great job at coach and being the interim coach and keeping that team together but somebody on the team had to do it and who is that guy in the nfl today you win and lose whether or not you have a good quarterback. And Derek Carr, I think, has taken the biggest step of his career, and it had nothing to do with throwing a pass or how many completions he had. It was to step up in that locker room and say, you know what, guys? That guy's gone now, and if you're looking for the center of the Raider universe, it's me. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, I just want to say, just make a quick uh, note that sometimes hard times bring the best out of people. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think that's what Raider, Raiders went through over the last couple of weeks, and as you said, they had to turn to their leaders, and I think Derek Carr being their de facto number one leader as the quarterback of that team, being there for, for, for all these years, going through the tough years, losing seasons, uh, the Washington debacle, traded players, some of them his friends, going through all of that and to still stand tall in the pocket and still grow. And a lot of people said Derek Carr had reached the ceiling last year. It turns out that's not true because he has continued uh, to skyrocket in, in his development. In his eighth year, I know it sounds weird, development and eighth year player, but we're definitely <laughs> seeing it. I mean, five games over 323, yard, uh, 323 yards or more. So big year for him, and I think he's on in route to getting paid big money in the offseason. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of fa fans out there who don't like Derek Carr who are saying, oh, wait, the wheels will fall off at some point. But you know what? Every time he's successful, you say that. At this point, if you're not rooting for Derek Carr, even if you were a Derek Carr detractor before, it's okay. You can, you can stop now. And just give the guy credit for where he's at. If the wheels do fall out, 
great. Then you can do it. You can say whatever you want. But at this point, I don't see how any Raider fan, even if they don't like Derek Carr, can root against him because this team, with the way he's playing, the way he's leading on and off the field, is is huge, and that's what's going to get this team over the top. Another thing, Mo, that has been so great for this team, and again, I said it last week, it's not like they're a top-five defense, but this defense has gotten better. Up front especially, we talk about the edge players all the time because they're sort of like the, the sexy side of the defense, right? You have Max Crosby, you have Yannick Ngakwe, who, by the way, was the AFC Defensive Player of the Week last week. Um, on the defensive line there. So kudos to him. He had his breakout game for the Raiders, which was nice to see. Uh, but let's talk about the inside of that line, Mo. Solomon Thomas, um, you have Jonathan Hankin, you have those rotational guys. They are just doing an amazing job up front. And then you add in the most improved player on the team, which is Jonathan Abram. You add in, of course, Denzel Perryman, who just continues to be a tackle machine. This defense, they're not the best defense. They're not going to be, like I said, they're not even going to be a top 15 defense. But what they are is they're spirited, they're tough, and they don't give up. Yeah, and they come in waves. I think Rod Marinelli talked about this early in the season that they have a way, they have waves of pass rushes on the outside and the inside. And you talked about Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe being the flashy players on that line, but Quentin Jefferson, two forced fumbles. Yes. Uh, Carl Nassib looks like a different player. Damian Square coming in, making plays. Jonathan Hankins, as you mentioned, being their nose tackle. Uh, the rotation there, Solomon Thomas, the rotation there is is pretty much solid. Now, if they can you know, plug holes in a run game, they'll, make another, they'll take another step. But right now, they're situationally sound, and they get off the field on third downs. They're 10th in the league, their defense is, and allowing on third down conversion. So... That defense is making strides under Gus Bradley, and you're seeing it on the edge, inside, on the backside. Mo, well, and I, I didn't see the number, but it appears, though, that, that Bradley is, is blitzing just a little more. Have you noticed that? And I think it's because Jonathan Abram has played so well. Yeah, the other thing is when you have good coverage on the back end, you can risk a player playing up close to the box of mm-hmm. line scrimmage or attacking the quarterback because you have the solid coverage on the back end. So that that's a that's a testament to Trayvon Merrick on the back end, Casey Hayward who's locked down on the boundary, Brandon Faison who's come in off the street and played well. I believe he he led the team in tackles against the Eagles straight off the street in his second <laughs> game. Uh has five pass breakups in two and three outings. So credit to him too. But when you have guys in the secondary who can who can man up then you can blitz a little more. I'm going to go back to the offense with a couple minutes we have left, Mo. Um, Greg Olson, again, we saw this offense and how it's being called after John Gruden left the Raiders. Uh, and it's 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 a lot more of car under center. It's a lot more play action. And I love that you called out during the game. I think you might have tweeted or you texted us. I can't remember now. But you said, oh, my gosh, the Raiders threw screen passes. Right. And talk a little bit about that, though, for people who don't quite understand the difference between Gruden and now Olsen without Gruden and how that makes a difference for this team when you're able to throw things like a simple screen pass. Yeah, because it's cheap yardage, especially when your run game isn't going well or you've not made a full commitment to the run game. You get your offensive lineman moving down the field. You get a running back who has some vision, who can use his blocks as Jacobs does. And that's why you see him on those screen passes because he has that vision. You can get down the field in a, in a quick hurry, and, and if, you, if your linemen go downfield and they block and they can maul guys, you can get you know first down, you get 10 yards, 15 yards down the field, and you don't have to risk throwing down the field and getting an interception. You can change things up. As you said, Carr in the center more, which helps that play action, which helps those screen passes. And I think Greg also coming in again. That adds a spark to the offense that they didn't have under John Gruden. Absolutely. You're listening to Silver and Black today, game day here on The Fan in Las Vegas. Mo Moten, Scott Colbranson with you. And Mo, I take you back to August 27th, 2021. 
We're on our radio show. We have another radio show down in Southern California on the Mightier 1090, the 50,000 watt station in Southern California. And we were talking about the season and we were talking about key players to the season, key additions. You and I started talking about the importance of Kenyon Drake and his signing. We talked about that through week one through week two, week three, and we kept asking, where is Kenyon Drake? Last week, we found out where Kenyon Drake was. He was just in the doghouse for John Gruden for some reason. So he comes out, Greg Olson utilizes him. He has a nice game for them last year or last week in Denver. Then against the Eagles, guess what? Kenyon Drake has another big performance. Um, Having him being able to run, especially Josh Jacobs, who had the chest injury that apparently he thinks wasn't a chest injury. We'll we'll talk about that another time. But nonetheless, you have Josh Jacobs, who has not been the most reliable. So you have Kenyon Drake, who can run the ball. But most importantly, he can also swing out to get those screen passes you talked about and be a force in the in the passing game his addition his use now has also changed to me the dynamic of this offense and he has become a key cog yeah and i would call him even an x factor because now Mm. as you said if josh jacobs goes out with an injury now you can hand the ball to Kenyon drake 10 to 15 times in the game and and depend on him to go downfield because josh Kenyon drake is more of a slasher as i said josh jacobs uses more more of his vision so he's more effective maybe in the in zone blocking but with Kay and Drake, you just have to go downhill with him because he's going to make one cut and go uphill. And I think you saw that with the Raiders. There was one particular play I liked against uh, the Denver Broncos where he made one cut, went upfield, and and Alex Leatherwood and, and Andre James actually made key blocks on that touchdown run. So I think they're using Kenyon Drake to his best ability and using him properly, and this is why you're getting more production out of him. They are, and the Raiders sit at 5-2. and two. And we're going to talk about the state of Raider Nation and the fans out there, all of you out there, with Murph from Raiders Fan Radio coming up next here on Silver and Black Today Game Day with Mo and with Scott and with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. Stay where you are. the nation rallies every week of the NFL season. It's Silver and Black Today, game day. All right, welcome back to Silver and Black Today, game day. And yes, unfortunately, there is no Raiders game today, so it's a game day in the NFL, but it's not a game day for Raider Nation. But we're here anyway because that's what we do. We care so much about you that Mo and I are here for you on a Sunday to talk Raiders football because you deserve it because you're the best fans in the world. So we're going to do that. Scott Branson, and Mo Moten with you. And now we're going to bring in our guests. We're excited to bring in some, uh, some guy you might know. Um, that, of course, is Murph, Raiders Fan Radio. I'm sure if you don't follow him on YouTube, if you don't follow the podcast, if you haven't seen him in Vegas because he's already been here, uh, he is everywhere and he is a beloved figure in the nation. He is a fan and a great guy who knows how to produce good media, by the way. Murph is our guest. Murph, thanks for joining Mo and I here on Silver and Black Today Game Day. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So let's start out with, I mean, the Raiders. Look, it's been a crazy, it's not even a half a year, but we're going to talk about it sort of like a half a year because the Raiders now this week in the bye after seven weeks. Uh, and Murph, it's been a strange uh, journey, uh, to say the least. They start out 3-0. and We're talking about Derek Carr as an MVP candidate. Then they sort of crap the bed for two weeks. Uh, and then suddenly John Gruden's emails surface and John Gruden's gone. And you kind don't know what's going to happen and then the Raiders come out the next two weeks and they play their best football of the season talk to me about when you were out in Las Vegas for the game against the Eagles and you were talking to Raider Nation and the fans sort of what's the reaction what's the mood of everyone now that the Raiders sit at five and two 
Well, you know, it's like uh, being a Raider fan is like a Grateful Dead lyric. What a long, strange trip it's been, right? Like, so, you know, and I, I think the, the the mood of the of the fan base is right now in Raider Nation is fantastic. Of course, everyone's fired up. And I think one of the reasons that we're fired up is that when you look at, you know, what the Raiders, if you're a fan of Raider history, if you're old enough, you got enough gray in your beard like me to remember <laughs> when the Raiders used to face adversity year in and year out for various different reasons, whether it be legalities or whatever it may be, um, the Raiders would face adversity, but then they would win. And so, you know, in recent history, you know, the latter part of, of Al Davis, uh, Al Davis's life, and then even, you know, in, in recent history, like the 2017 season comes to mind, when the Raiders would face adversity, it would only go one direction, and that was mm. down, and it was dysfunction, and it was, and it was really tough uh, to be a fan. So now, like, all those stories that, you know, for younger Raider fans that heard about how the Raiders would battle through the officials and battle through the NFL and still win championships anyways, it feels similar to that. Again, it's, it's only, you know, seven games in, and we've got a long ways to go. But I think the excitement comes from, you know, again, the older fans that remember what it used to be like and go, oh, yeah, this is what we are. And then for younger fans seeing it and going, oh, this is what those people were talking about. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And that's the one thing, too, Murr. I was going to talk to you about this one because because I, clearly I wasn't at the game Sunday, but you were there. You were with so many different folks from Raider Nation. Um, the team is doing so well post-John Gruden, but what's kind of the prevailing thought about John Gruden? Is there is there just a big sense of disappointment? I know a lot of people were disappointed because the team hasn't played better under him and the result hasn't been, I should say, what they wanted. But overall, is, is it going to be something where, where people are – not going to get over it pretty soon or are they over it and they could care less i think we're, we're moved on you yeah. know and i think that when and you, and you kind of have to be right because you know there's a you know unfortunately you know it ended under you know kind of uh disgraceful circumstances mm-hmm. um and leading up to that like you said there was questions anyways we were looking at a 500 coach that had a super bowl ring with a different team and um you know and so what kind of legacy did that leave for the raiders you know, it was, you know, Al Davis traded him away once upon a time. And, and um, so, you know, I, I think that there was, there was a little bit of, you know, kind of like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a little bit of a, a, a lack of embracing of what the current version of the Raiders were with Gruden, because I think a lot of us felt, and, you know, look, we, and let me clarify this. I'm just a fan. I'm not a film guy. I'm not a former pro. I'm not an analyst. I'm a fan that does a podcast in my bonus room. Okay. So (laughs) that's all my opinion is, but like, but when you look at what John Gruden built in terms of like offensive strategies and all that, whatnot, that like commitment to the thing in, in like the commitment, the overriding commitment to do a very specific thing. I think it kind of held them back. It was kind of like, like the movie tin cup. It reminded me of that. And I, Mm. one of our listeners referenced that movie. It was like, it was all about just making the shot, forget it that we're going to blow the tournament. Let's make that shot. And I, and so now sting like what the Raiders have done in the offense. Now it feels like there's some breathing room. It feels like, you know, Derek and, and, and Ole and all these all these guys, are, they got a little bit more rumors, a little bit more ease. We heard Josh Jacobs making comments about the, 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 the lack of anxiety on the sideline because coach isn't losing his mind, cursing at officials. And, and so I, I think that ultimately it's going to play out well. And if, and if that's the legacy that, that John now leaves behind, that like, okay, he built this thing for us, and now we'll just take it and go you know make a championship run with it. Well, then you know so be it. But in terms of like – Gruden the coach, Gruden the man. I mean, you know, uh, like, like Derek said, you, you know, hate the sin, love the man, and I and I and I wish 
uh, you know, the best for him as a human, but it was really, really unfortunate uh, mm -hmm. the way that his career closed out. And it really dinged us up a lot and from, from the human level to, you know, hear some of the ways that, that uh, went down. Now, Murph, you have a little bit more gray in your beard than me. Um, so you probably <laughs> know the history with Gruden uh, more than I do. But would you compare it to Gruden's exit uh, the first time around when the Raiders offense kind of took off after he left? Would you say there's some parallels there? Because a lot of people brought that up to me on Twitter. Would you draw those parallels? Or would you say it's a little bit different this time around? Well, I, you know, I don't. that's a really good question because – and well, I guess we'll find out. And the reason I say that is because on the heels of Gruden's departure, right, we had to get back the ball quick. And and thankfully, we have the leaders in the, in, in the locker room and the leaders in the coaching staff to make that happen. And, uh, you know, so being that that's the case, that they kind of didn't have time to change anything. Um, even this last week, they really didn't have time to change anything. Now we're in a bye week. So now if they're going to start making any kind of changes, this would be the time to do it. You know, last time when Gruden departed, yeah, they made zero changes, and it showed up because we ran his offense in the Super Bowl and got dominated because Bill Callahan didn't even change up the gosh dang verbiage. <laughs> I mean, it was like it was the biggest idiot move ever in sports. Sorry, coach, if you're listening. But, I mean, like, literally, if you're going to play the guy that invented the thing that you're doing, you may want to mix it up. But, um, but yeah, so I, I think it's, it's a little bit of uh, to remain to be seen. But that's, I think that's a very good parallel to draw, absolutely. Uh, again, we're joined yeah, by. Spoke... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. We're joined by Murph spoke... of of Vegas <laughs> Raiders Fan <laughs> Radio, which, uh, by the way, check out RaidersFanRadio.com and subscribe to his channel on YouTube. Thank you very much. So I just so you just spoke about adversity when you first started talking, and I just wanted to touch on that a bit. Now, what do you think is different this time around that that changed the fortunes versus recent memories? I know you said, you know, the old memory was the Raiders were able to you know, overcome all these obstacles and despite of this and despite of that, they win games and then it kind of went downhill in recent history. But now it's back to saying, okay, we can handle this. We can handle a resignation of a coach. We can handle an offensive line not playing well early. We can handle 14-point deficits early in games and still come back to win these games. What do you think is different this time around this year in the first seven weeks of the season? Well, I think back to like, you know, to reference it, like in 2017, you know, when we had uh, th that game that went down to Washington on primetime mm -hmm. and the rest of the season went downhill after that. And there was all these rumors and all this talk about a locker room that was divided uh, mm -hmm. on the heels of the John Gruden incident. Uh, I believe we had a locker room in chaos and, and when, in times of chaos, you can do one of two things, right? You can either, you know, you can either crap the bed and call it a season or you can galvanize. And we've heard that term a lot. And that and that that ability to to unify under a single purpose and uh, to share a vision and to strive towards a common goal. That's what leaders do. That's what that's what, uh, you know, the greatest of athletes do under those times of adversity. And I think that we have a locker room that can do that, you know, all through the player acquisition phases of Mike Mayock's career. We've heard character guys dedicated to the sport, you know, first guys in last guys out kind of thing. I think that's where this shows up, you know? And so, you know, Frank Sinatra told me to never to name drop, but on Friday when I was in Vegas, I had a really cool conversation with Greg Olson. And he was, was talking about that, that like, it's the players, like this, the, the locker, locker room is all those things that I just described. And he's thrilled to coach these guys. And so when you have that kind of character and that kind of dedication in the locker room, like this is what, the whole reason that the Raiders were drafting the way that they've drafted. And I think that there's a hand, you know, handful of examples where you it's fair criticism in terms of on the field play, but as far as character goes and men, like 
this freaking Raider team is awesome. Like, I, don't, I mean, you know what I mean? And, yeah, and clearly sure. they are because they've responded on the field. No doubt about it. And, and, and I think that's, that's huge. And that's, that's how, that's why this team is playing so well is yes, they have the talent. They're better. And of course we talked about the defense Mo and I did in the, in the first segment, but, but Murph, I mean, I think, I think you're right. And everything you've said about why this team kind of is coming together has the, I think, ability to, to galvanize them even more. They will face more adversity. They're not going to win every single game the rest of the way out. I'm just going to venture to say, uh, but, but well, at we'll the, disagree on that one. Scott. <laughs> well, but that, that's actually a perfect lead in Murph, because to, to me, you said earlier on when we brought you on about, Hey, look, I'm just a fan. And that's true. But what I love about like you and I and, and Mo are doing this show and we're in three different cities, right? And we're going through MacBooks doing a radio show. Uh, the, the, the way that media has been democratized to me is great. And I love fan media, as I call it, right? I love fan media yeah. because I think it gives fans the opportunity to reach audience. You have done great things. And we're going to talk about what you've done on the charitable side in just a minute here. But also... It allows fans to to hear and talk with one another uh, in a way that we've never had before. Before we had YouTube, before and and I'm 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 probably older than you, Murph. And so so I I remember when this stuff wasn't around and this was impossible. And all we had was the big stick radio stations and all that kind of stuff. Um, talk about being part of that fan media and and how it's changed you being a fan and how you've connected with others. Wow, that's an awesome question. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, growing up, or at least as a young man, you know, Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen and, mm -hmm. and Oberman and all those guys on ESPN, the, you know, uh, it was so groundbreaking and, and uh, was always kind of like a wannabe radio guy. Like, I always liked, you know, being on a microphone and, like, doing that kind of stuff. But um, so when, when, these, when these opportunities opened up for fan-generated content, mm -hmm. um, we really leaned into that. Um, I started it with my cousin back in 2012, and, and now it's evolved over the years into what it is is today. Um, but I think why it's important is because, you know, once upon a time when the Raiders were, you know, in the Bay Area, they weren't reported on very favorably, <laughs> yes. if at all. True. And, and then also same thing in national media. Like they were an afterthought. The only times that the, that the Raiders were on, uh, on 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 big time sports media was when Al Davis was up there with an overhead projector firing Lance Kiffin. You know what I mean? I see Lance on purpose for those on purpose for those who remember that. But so like, but like the but point being though is that like so when when you have your favorite team like and all you do is either you don't see them at all or all you do is you see them get crapped on all the time like. We're such a loyal fan base. Raider Nation truly is family. And so it was like we felt compelled to, like, generate content that actually reported on the team that we love and mm -hmm. report on them in a way that's that's favorable. And so you ask what I've, what I've, how my fandom is, has grown through that. There's a reason we call our show Raiders Fan Radio for two, well, two things, really, because that's all we are as fans. But we wanted to celebrate Raiders fans, too. We wanted to celebrate Raider Nation yeah. and, and celebrate all the different ways that, that their fandom comes out and the ways that it manifests from, you know, all the different music and the artwork and it could be a podcast, whatever it may be. We wanted to celebrate that. And what, I, what has happened, gentlemen? is that, look, I'm a diehard Raider fan. I've, I've been a Raider fan since I knew they were a thing. I've been at the Oakland Coliseum, uh, you know, in utero. My mom went to the 72 <laughs> World Series and watched those A's play. Like, I've been literally in that place my whole life. But And so I am, I, I am as, as, as diehard as they come, but I've come to love Raider Nation even more than I uh, love the Raiders. That's nice. So it's, yeah. it's just the, the fans. It truly is family. 
it's like we say La Familia and it is for yeah. a reason. Well, and, and Murph, the, the one thing I always tell to people too, is because obviously we talk to people from other markets. We talk to reporters and radio folks from everywhere uh, when the Raiders are playing. And I always tell them that it is a culture. Yes, it's a family, but it's a culture. And like, once you're in that culture and I learned this from the outside as being outside, remember I grew up a charger fan. I know. Um, and there's still some Raider fans who won't listen to me because of that. So, <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, I came into it from the outside and, and when I got immersed in it and covering the team, uh, it, it became, it came full effect. I understood it. Like when you're outside it, you don't understand it. Then once you're inside it, even as an observer, you really get it and you understand how close knit it is. Now, before we let you go, I really want to hit on something. You've done a lot of great charity work. I know you were at the Fred Blitnikoff Crab Fest out in Las Vegas last week. Talk a little bit about the foundation and what you guys do with Raiders Fan Radio. Uh, and of course, from the Fan Cave, which is cool. You got to go check out his YouTube channel because you can see where Murph does his show. It's pretty cool. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So a couple years ago, we figured out that we could make money with our show. And uh, so myself and my co-hosts, you know, we have day jobs and we're, and we're, uh, we're, we're taking care of in that area. So we realized uh, we just wanted to give all that money away. Uh, so we decided to partner with Raiders related charities. And the first one we partnered with was the Bolitnikoff Foundation. And back in 2019, um, we were able to attend that and then hand out our first uh, donation from uh from from us but it's it's i say us but we're the vessel it is listeners uh and that money comes from merchandise sales and direct donations and whatnot it is not from us that you know uh, we are just the ones that 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 show up and get to you know uh hand the check Uh, but then anyways this last year so we had uh, or just last week had an opportunity to attend it again because the event was put off in 2020 because of covid um so we had a chance to to get out there and then this year i'm proud to say that uh, on the heels of that last uh, donation, we decided to form our own foundation because it was just me writing the check. And so I wanted to make sure that we made it completely transparent and completely make it its own thing. So it's its own nonprofit called the One Nation Foundation. Uh, I partnered with uh, with my buddy Raider Cody to mm-hmm. form the foundation. And we throughout the year give to various Raiders related charities. We've given to three charities uh, so far already this year, including this uh, Blitnikoff this um, this last week. And we're also going to give to the Greater Youth Sports Association of Las Vegas is next up. And so uh, that's, um, uh, you know, aside from all the the cool things that have happened around our show and the people we get to meet and like, and, and I'm telling you, going to the Blitnikoff Foundation dinner is literally <laughs> a fan's dream come true. I mean, I got to interview Daryl LaMonica. Ryan that was awesome. Martin, Greg Townsend, like it just yeah. it blows my mind as a fan. The best, like- the best part of it though, Murph, and people got to go check out um, uh, RaidersFanRadio.com to see what I'm talking about. Was you in a three piece suit with your Raider hat on? And <laughs> yeah, my freaking Jordans that were silver, black, and white. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, listen, we will uh, we'll have you on again, and I appreciate it. Make sure you check out Raiders Fan Radio and the One Nation Foundation. What Murph's doing. Make sure you all you got to watch him on video on youtube that's my favorite way to listen to you guys i mean we're audio we do podcasts and all that stuff and i've done video in the past you guys do an amazing job in the fan cave it is a raiders uh fans wet dream excuse the expression so make sure you (laughs) make sure you check it i don't know if i can use that on sunday morning but that's okay i will uh but murph thank you man we'll be in touch with you and i appreciate what you do and keep doing what you do right on gentlemen thank you so very much for having me all right. All right. There you go. There you go. Murph from Raiders Fan Radio. Make sure you check out his website and subscribe on YouTube. All right. We're going to take a break. When Mo and I come back, we're going to be joined by the third stooge. That, of course, is Evan Grote of Just Pod Baby. He'll be joining us for a Raiders bye week roundtable. You're listening to Silver and Black Today Game Day only here on The Fan Las Vegas.
Raider Nation is fired up. It's Silver and Black Today, game day. Welcome back. Silver and Black Today, game day, game slash by day. Yes, the Raiders aren't playing today, but we are here. We are talking Raiders football because that's what we do. You are Raider Nation. I am Scott Cobranson, Mo Moten. My partner is here and also joining us. I called him before the break, uh, the third stooge, and that is one Mr. Evan Grote. <laughs> he is the host of the very popular Just Pod Baby podcast, and he joins us now. Evan, I'm sorry I called you a stooge. It just came up. Hey, I've been called a lot worse, so uh, I'll take it. And that's only in your it. and that's only in your own house. So there you go, boom, boom, boom. All right. So listen, guys, let's jump in. We have um, you know about 15 minutes left here in the show. Uh, a bye week always sucks for Raiders fans because their team is not playing. But this team is at five and two. Mo and I talked earlier, Evan, about how the team has gotten here, what it's had to overcome to get to five and two. But at this point, how excited? I mean, Raider fans should feel good about it. But how good should they feel about it knowing the team's recent history you know i i think they should feel pretty good about it um considering what, what has happened recently with with the resignation uh, of uh john gruden uh you know i think the raiders have gotten off to a very good start at five and two it's better than what i predicted and uh you know they're starting to catch the, the attention of some of the national media out there Derek carr is getting a lot of props uh, from a lot of people who cover the NFL, Max Crosby, he's becoming more of a household name, and that's a good thing. But there is still a long ways to go, uh, but they have positioned themselves nicely as currently the number two seed in the AFC uh, playoff picture. But I, I, I have to say, uh, we have seen this story before. Um, and I don't think I need to remind Raider fans about the 2019 and 2020 seasons when they also got up to a fast start only to collapse in the second half of the season. So the five and two start, it's great. It feels good, but it doesn't mean a whole lot if they can't go out and finish the job in the second half of the season. Yeah, and I think which what I'm hearing from you is a lot what I'm hearing over Twitter is that a lot of people, you know, I've, I've tweeted, you know, Raiders five and two first in AFC West. And a lot of people go, yeah, Mo, but, and then they go into exactly what you talked about over the last two seasons. But I really do think this season is different. I really think this team is different. Uh, Solomon Thomas recently was on Jim Rohn, talked about the leadership, Max Crosby, Derek Carr, Darren Waller. And I think this is the most balanced team we've seen in recent memory, and I think that's going to carry over. So even if Derek Carr, let's say, has a bad game down the stretch, I think that defense can carry over and win some games and keep this team afloat in the, in the playoff picture. And I think they'll be able to sustain that that post Gruden bump, in my opinion. Yeah, and and Evan, I mean, we talk about that post Gruden bump, right? Is it sustainable? You look at the schedule on the back end, and and one of the things that we always try to do when we prognosticate, and people usually dislike us for it. Uh, you just mentioned what you thought their record would be, and mine was much worse as well. Uh, but when you look at this post Gruden, you see what they've done. They had all this momentum going in. Now then they have the buy, uh, and then they start it right back up again. Uh, do you think that this team, like at what point can Raider fans stop clinching, uh, at their tight backsides and be like, okay, we are actually in a position where we might make the playoff. Like, is it going to be, is it going to have to go what four more weeks? And then you can feel good about this team. If they were to go, you know, uh, three and three and two over the next five weeks, would that be good enough? Like at what point can Raider fans say, okay, I think we're going to actually do this. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got good news. I, I believe Raider fans can start feeling good right now. You know, mm. despite what I told you about the collapses in 2019 and 2020, I agree with Mo. I think this team is different, um, and I believe this is sustainable. Um, and, and part of the reasons why I believe it's sustainable, here we go, number one, I believe it's sustainable because we've heard from the players that after Gruden's resignation, that actually brought this team closer together. Hmm. You know, the bond, the brotherhood, it's that much tighter. They had a, a players-only meeting uh, before the Denver game, and and and, and they, they spoke to each other and, and laid it all out there in the line. And, and they're just continuing to, to, to ride the wave of emotion and use it as motivation. And, and I'm sure that they see a lot of what is going on in the league, just like we do uh, from the outside. Maybe, uh, you know, what the NFL did here to the Raiders um, – uh, not willing to release more of what was discovered in that investigation. Maybe, you know, maybe they feel like the Raiders were targeted a little bit here. I know the fan base feels that. And so I'm sure I'd be willing to bet there is some of that us against the world talk going on right now in the locker room. And it's given them some momentum. And in sports, momentum is huge. It can really carry you. And then I think the other aspect to this, why I believe it's sustainable, is because the trust and respect they have for Rich Basaccia. He seems to really have a, a pulse of the team. It, it sounds like the guys really love his approach. The players are playing a bit more carefree and, and we are seeing the effects of that uh, on the field. And then, you know, I also saw one of the beat writers who covers the team pointed out, and I thought this was interesting after the Denver game, rather than rich Basaccia taking the podium first to speak with the media, he allowed his players to speak first. And and those are the little things that I think he does that are different than mm. Gruden. And, and those little things go a, a long way. He's allowing the players to lead and they're embracing that for, uh, so far. Now, Evan, that is, you ended off with a great point there because, as we all know, Gruden was basically the face of this team. He was the head honcho, the star of the franchise. So I think the players needed a coach like Rich Passaccia to come in. And I don't want to say players coach, but a guy who's going to put the players first and let them speak out and, as you said, lead. Because Gruden, you know, was the de facto leader of that organization. I think the players felt like if, you know, if I screw up here, if I screw up there, you know, how's Gruden going to feel? And I think Scott alluded to this before on, on Friday was – Rich Gann is saying that Carr doesn't have Gruden yelling in his ear now. And I think all the players, may they may not say this, but they all may feel a certain type of way about that, saying, yeah, we don't have Gruden in our ear. We can we can now relax, as you just said, and kind of play our game. And I think, again, I think that's the type of coach that the Raiders needed at this point in time when they were down two games and now they flip back and win two games. Yeah, all good points. And I think that that, that too is so true because you have – We've all worked for bosses, right? Bosses who are the screamers and the yellers. And then you had the other boss who had a different approach and you work differently under them and you feel, you don't feel like you're walking on eggshells. And remember Henry Ruggs last week talked about that inadvertently on how people were smiling on the sidelines and nobody was yelling at the referees and all that stuff. And that wasn't a purposeful shot at John Gruden. It just was truth. It's a different environment, and you like to see what's going on there. Again, this is the Raiders bi-week roundtable. Mo Moten, Evan Grote, Scott Branson here on Silver and Black Today Game Day on the Fan Las Vegas. Guys, let's talk about now what has been the biggest surprise for you guys so far through seven games, now going to be eight weeks after today with this Raiders team, be it a player, be it a coach. What is the biggest surprise? And we'll start with you, Mo. I'm going to go with Jonathan Abram because I can kind of know where you where you two are going to go, but I'm going to go with Jonathan Abram because <laughs> I, I don't think he's getting enough love. Of course, I see people saying he's improved. Third on the team in tackles with 54, three pass breakups and interception, allowing 5.1 yards per catch. His missed tackle rate is down. No boneheaded plays we're seeing, not as much as we've seen in previous years. But 
I think we're seeing the full maturity of Jonathan Abram. He went from hard hitter who was going to lay the wood no matter what and 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 just play for that down and not play for the next down to got a little calmer last year. Now he's more composed. And I think now you're seeing, again, the full maturity of John Abram and what he can do in the box versus being just a free safety. But as, as I just mentioned, he can also play a little bit in coverage. That's not his forte. But now you're seeing him play to his assignments, not too many blown whiffs. And I think I think a lot of credit goes to John Abram and his development under Gus Bradley. Yes, and Ron Milas too, by the way. I think I think right. that he's had a huge part in that. And I agree 100% with you, Mo. What what the the most improved player, no doubt. Evan, what about for you? Biggest surprise? Yeah, I have to be fair with this one. I, I'm going to go with a player as well. I'm going with Solomon Thomas uh, mm-hmm. as my biggest surprise because I have to be honest, I was very hard on Solomon Thomas when they first signed him. He came over from San Francisco after four really unproductive years, netted only six sacks in that time and never really found uh, his role with that team. Granted, they did have some really stacked defensive lines, but never really made his presence felt with them. Um, and then in his final year, he tore his ACL. So I, I just never saw it uh, as a fit with the Raiders. Um, in fact, I had him as a long shot to make the roster. Uh, so I've been proven wrong by him. He's played well. We hear a lot about Max uh, Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, but but Solomon Thomas, he's he's been efficient with the snaps that he's played. He's provided the depth that they've needed. Uh, they've had uh, Phylon, who's been out. Hankins missed a game as well. He's 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 been reliable. He's third on the team in pressures and sacks, and he's made some impact plays as well with the two forced fumbles. So I've been pleasantly surprised with Solomon Thomas. That was two good ones on both on defense. Look at that, Jonathan Abram and Solomon Thomas, both there. My biggest surprise is my favorite player, Tanner Muse. Oh wait, sorry, no, not Tanner Muse. Uh, actually, it's Zay Jones. I have to eat my 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 words on Zay Jones. Now I know Zay Jones isn't a massive part of the offense, but obviously he had the big catch early in the season and he continues to be a good real player and and they've released veteran receivers because they have young guys who are doing it on the field so to me that's a surprise I really did not think when John Brown came over and then they had Willie Sneed who they released this week I thought those guys would definitely keep a role and instead Zay Jones has outplayed them so Derek Carr talking up Zay Jones for the last three years turns out to be right so that's been my biggest surprises what about disappointments when I look at disappointments uh, on this team on defense he's played well I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way but I'm still wanting more from Corey Littleton like he's played well he's had some great games I'm not saying he's not playing a solid linebacker I'm not but what I'm saying though is the the way I expected him to play he's playing more like that player this year I'm not expecting him to be a Dick Butkus Lawrence Taylor type linebacker that's not who he is that's never who he's been but for the amount of money they invested in him I would just expect him to have a little more impact and kind of lead that defense a little more now Denzel Perryman's come in and done a great job but we knew he would because he knows that system but overall I've been just a little disappointed in Corey Littleton. Yeah, that's right, that's Evan. a good one there. I, I agree. And, and when you consider the amount of money that he's making, and I that's that, only the reason. Yeah, that's the biggest reason. Right, that's a big part of it. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on the offensive side of the ball with my biggest disappointment. And I may not have great timing with this one, but give me a chance to defend <laughs> myself. Uh, I, I'm gonna say Foster Moreau. Whoa! <laughs> wait a minute, Foster yeah. Moreau. What? <laughs> yep, yep. I love the player. I love the player. And in his defense, it's not all his fault because uh, uh, the issues that I have is more about lack of opportunity. Uh, um, all of a sudden, there's a lot of mouths to feed in this Raiders offense with the emergence of Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. There just isn't enough footballs to go around. And, and based on the way we heard Gruden 
talk about Morrow in the offseason. We heard a lot of great things about Foster coming out of training camp. It just hasn't resulted in much uh, from a statistical standpoint. Now, prior to last week's breakout game for Foster, where he had the six catches and the, and the 60 yards and the touchdown filling in for Darren Waller, he only had four catches for 53 yards and a touchdown. And, and I also want to point out that I think he's been disappointing Uh, as a blocker. He's been exposed quite a bit in the blocking game. I can think back to a couple of different games and plays where he was blown up at the line of scrimmage and his man made a sack or a tackle for loss. The Chicago Bears game is one of those games that's standing out in my mind. So uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit more in the passing game. Maybe we'll see that with Olsen. Um, I understand they do have Darren Waller, who is a stud, who's ahead of him, but Morrow is a special player in his own right. We saw what he can do last week when when he's given an opportunity. I, well, I guess I have to be that guy, and I guess I got to address the <laughs> elephant in the room. It's got to be Cleveland Farrell, and, ah. and we, have, we can open up a bigger discussion here, but come on. I mean, six games, three tackles, three tackles from your top five pick from the 2019 draft, and, wow. I, and I just leave this question open to you guys. What happens to Cleveland Farrell? Because he seems like the only guy on a defensive line who hasn't had a good game. You've seen Damon Square come in, have a good game. Quentin Jefferson, Max Crosby, and Yannick Ngakwe, of course. Jonathan Hankins. Multiple guys. Uh, Solomon Thomas, you just mentioned. Where is Cleveland Farrell? When, when is he going to have his moment? And, and is it going to ever come this year? And I wrote an article on Bleacher Report recently, and I, it's going to come out soon. I think the Raiders are going to try to trade him. I mean... Why wouldn't you? What, yeah. I mean... What is going to happen with him? And and if he's going to break out, when is it going to happen? Because usually he does well against the Chargers. He had one tackle against the Chargers in that game. That was his, usually his game when he he shows up, and it didn't happen. I think if the Raiders can trade him for even a late-round pick, which sounds ridiculous for a first-rounder a couple years ago, I think they do it. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you there. I, I Look, they've moved him around. They've given him every opportunity. He was a healthy scratch earlier in the year. Uh, I, I just don't see the the path forward for him because he he's not having the impact. When he has the opportunity, he's not taking advantage of it. And if you're the Raiders now, if you're Mike Mayock, your job's on the line. It was already on the line, but now it's even more so because John Gruden's gone and you're the guy. So what are you going to do? Can you salvage anything out of him? And if you can't, then you got to try to get some draft capital uh, to go into this next offseason. All right, guys, we're running out of time here, but I want to get your thoughts. A key three-game stretch for me for the Raiders coming up after the bye. You go to the Giants. Yes, they're a bad team. They're coming off a win, of course, but the Giants are bad, but they have to go on the road to New York for the third straight year, by the way. Played the Jets the last two previous to that. You're going to play the Giants, um, and then you have the Chiefs and the Bengals. Now, I know the Chiefs, everybody's relishing in in, in, in their misfortune and in, in wanting to attack uh, Patrick Mahomes' brother, who seems to be a bigger star than him right now. I don't know why. But nonetheless, that seems to be it. Uh, and then you have the Bengals at home in Vegas, which is going to be a massive game for AFC implications for the playoffs. You guys, look at these three games. Tell me what you think is going to happen uh, and if you agree with me that this is a key three-game stretch. Yeah, and Scott, you know, you you could throw in the Dallas game following the Cincinnati game as well. Oh, yes. If I'm correct. So I I think we're going to learn a lot about this team in the next four to five games following the bye week, starting with that cross-country trip to the the Giants. You know, it's a game they should win. 
Uh, but we've seen these East Coast trips. Uh, they've they've gone bad in recent years, right? It, it happens. Um, you know, they follow that up with the meeting uh, with the Chiefs, who you know they look lost right now. But um, you know, they do have Patrick Mahomes, and and I'm I'm never going to count them out. They're going to be scrapping and fighting to keep their season alive, and then it sets up that matchup with the Bengals, uh, who are the number one seed right now in the AFC. That's that could be a huge game for playoff seeding. Um, they look legit right now. Yeah. And then, as I mentioned, that Thanksgiving game with the Cowboys. So I think they do have some obstacles ahead. How they manage to get through this gauntlet will be very telling for the remainder of the season. Mo, in closing, how about you? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Scott. It's a critical stretch. But I'll, I would also look at back-to-back games, Kansas City and Cleveland, both on the road, 1 o'clock, game, one o'clock Eastern games, probably in the cold. And remember this, oh, yeah. we talk about how Derek Carr does in the cold. So now you have those two games, week 14 and 15 back-to-back. I think those two games can determine what they're seeing is going to be if they're in a playoff picture, and it's going to be a referendum on Derek Carr and how far he's come as a cold-weather player. Yeah, that's going to be huge. I mean, and that's where I see a lot of Raider fans, because, listen, they had they had a tough schedule to start the season, there's no question, but a lot of fans, and I'm talking to you guys out there listening, Keep I keep hearing you saying there's a lot of winnable games on the backside. I'm not so sure. Um, look, all of them are winnable, but when you look at how difficult the schedule is, we talk about the next three game sands the Giants which always has the danger of you losing focus because it's a bad team but then you have the Chiefs Bengals and then the Cowboys okay so these are all huge games the team's going to have to play really really strong to do that Mo and Evan uh, it's time to end the show guys I always love doing the roundtables we'll do one again real soon thanks for being with us Evan no problem guys anytime all right, for sure. Mo Moten, I am Scott Colbranson. You have been listening to Silver and Black Today Game Day. Make sure you follow Mo on Twitter at Mo Moten, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. Follow Evan at E-Groat, G-R-O-A-T-5. And I am at L-V Gull. You can check out VegasSportsToday.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the radio show on our podcast feed. That way, if you ever miss any, you can catch it anytime. Also, subscribe to the Just Pod Baby podcast, where you can hear Evan doing that as well every week. Good stuff for you, Raider Nation. All right, for everybody here at Silver and Black Today Game Day, have a great Sunday. We'll be back next week, and we'll be able to talk about a Raiders game as the Raiders get set for the Giants. Have fun, everybody. Have a good weekend. Take care.